1: over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of
0: fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan.
1: And Cassidy Zachary. So today's fashion history mystery question comes from listener Vincent Van Stopp, who asked, I'm part Amish and love fashion history in general. Are there any designers from that tradition? And well, the answer is yes. I was really pleased to discover the work of New York City designer Kate Stoltz while doing research for this project. But before we discuss her work, I think, April, that we should maybe do a brief definition of the Amish religious group. And this is also a wonderful opportunity really to do an overview of their relationship to dress. Yes.
0: So um, basically, the Amish are part of the European Christian movement, which is known as Annabelle baptism, and anabaptism traces its origins all the way back to the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. So anabaptism is based on the belief that people should not be baptized at infancy, but rather when they are adults or or young adults, I should should clarify, um, so that they are able to make this very conscious decision to commit to their faith.
1: Right. And because this is quite controversial, we know that a lot of Christians and Catholics believe that uh, you should be baptized at birth. So the Amish were historically persecuted for their beliefs, and they immigrated en masse in the 18th century to America and to Pennsylvania in particular, which at that time was known for its religious tolerance. So today, there are almost no Amish living in Europe, but their numbers in the U.S. go into the hundreds of thousands, which is incredible.
0: Yeah. Um and, and I actually grew up around um some Amish communities. So so I've had interactions with them like in my early years. Um sometimes you would um some certain Amish communities would would invite you into their homes to have dinner and these amazing, elaborate, really lovely home cooked meals um that you could share with the Amish communities and kind of like have an exchange of ideas. But basically, you know, um the Amish are most famously known for their rejection of modern conveniences. And they really embrace this kind of simplified way of life. Uh, electricity for certain Amish groups is taboo. So even cars are taboo. So some of them use horse-drawn carriages. Almost all of the Amish sects also really embrace very plain styles of clothing. And this really, um, you know, evokes their 19th century antecedents. And one of the other things that's core to their kind of like way of life and their belief system is hard work. And uh, they think that these all these modern technologies and conveniences is like in direct conflict with their belief in, in hard work. And they think that like all these technologies basically encourage laziness or even complacence. So,
1: yeah, so if you 've ever seen photographs of Amish men and women, the first thing you notice is really how plain they dress are because they're they 're not wearing contemporary fashion, and, and as april said it 's more akin to nineteenth century frontier clothing, so it really stands out to our modern eye um, as being different, and that is because the majority of clothing worn by the Amish is made by the women in the community at home it 's homemade. And because the Amish really value humility and modesty, that is one of the reasons um, their clothing is very plain but almost uniform in a way.
0: Yeah, and there's a a really wonderful article. If anybody would like to learn a little bit more, you can find it in the Berg Fashion Library, which is entitled, quote, Sacred Dress, Public Worlds, Amish and Mormon Experience and Commitment. And it's written by um, Jean A. Hamilton and Yana M. Hawley. Uh, And these two women basically went out and did fieldwork in these communities um, to write this paper. And they say, quote, For Mormons and the Amish... Both form and function of items of everyday dress are de rigueur because of the religious beliefs and the commitments of the wearers. These items thus take on a quality of being sacred.
1: And as we mentioned earlier, the Amish are a religious sect of Christianity and there are various communities of Amish living across the U.S. And while uh, things can differ slightly in these communities, all are regulated by a set of rules um, known as the Ordnung or Order. And the Ordnung lays out religious duties, um, you know, what is permissible to use, what te- modern technologies are permissible to use, how you should raise your children, and then various rules regarding your clothing. So, for instance, around the house, women are expected to wear a white prayer cap, and outside, they wear um, a black bonnet. And so, basically, women are expected to keep their heads covered because it's in accordance with the Bible.
0: Yeah, and I, I actually, I, I I saw something very interesting the other day, which was, I was coming back on the plane from Australia. There were some Amish women on the plane with us, and they were wearing white caps, which I thought was very fascinating. And I thought it might be like a little bit of like a their shift towards informality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So they
1: were wearing just the prayer cap, you think, or was it a white bonnet?
0: No, it was like a little white, it was like, it was just a little white, like, uh, it wasn't even the structured bonnet. It was, mm-hmm. it was very loose. It was very fluid, and it was just like a little bit of white fabric, like tacked to the back of their hairstyle, which I yeah, had never seen. I had never seen before in the past. So
1: because yeah, that typically is what they're supposed to wear inside their home. But mm-hmm. I'm sure things change, and again, based on the community that you come from, those sorts of rules probably are different.
0: Yeah, and, and and if you are from an Amish community and you happen to be listening to the show, we would love to have your feedback. Um, um, but but what you were saying, Cass, there there are differences in the Amish community in terms of what it's acceptable to for a woman to wear versus a girl. Um, and girls can wear a lot brighter color palettes. They can also wear shorter skirts. And and as you said, this of course does vary by community. And the authors of the article that um, we were speaking about earlier basically um, observe the dress as worn by the Shumuk community, in which there are very specific patterns that are used by the women. And, and they go on to say, they say, quote, pattern dictates an open front bodice, elbow length sleeves or long sleeves in the wintertime, and a fitted bodice with a narrow band style collar. The bodice is attached to a same fabric belt, about two inches in width, to which the journal type center front open skirt is attached with a wide lap. The bodice is held closed by straight pins inserted horizontally down the front to the bottom of the belt.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting where you said straight pins because apparently in some places they don't use buttons mm-hmm. um, or maybe uh, not all communities use buttons because maybe that's a modern convenience. I couldn't quite get to the, the bottom of that uh, because some of those communities do use buttons. But I thought that was really interesting that they use pens to close their clothing so again, um, April mentioned it a little bit, but colors vary in communities from dark and hues. They're very plain. Girls can, of course, wear lighter, brighter colors. And something I thought was really cool is that the fabric is purchased from dry goods stores within the communities. When I think of dry goods stores, I almost always think of 19th, early 20th century American West frontiers, yeah. where these dry goods stores were really the end-all be-alls of their community because they carried so many different things from textiles to, of course, dry goods. So really um, fascinating that these uh, to discover these are still the cornerstones of these communities. Something else that's really interesting is that the men wear full beards, not mustaches, but full beards. This is apparently a very distinct, obviously distinctive separating feature from women. And also that most all Amish men do not wear belts, they wear suspenders, and that their pants and suits uh, are made by their wives. Although apparently, they do wear shirts that are commercially produced.
0: Well, I can very directly speak to um, the fact that the Amish do purchase commercially produced goods because, Cass, as you and I have already talked about, uh, one of my very first jobs, I've had a job since I was 13 um, and haven't not had a job since I was 13, but um, one of my jobs when I was in high school was I worked at Victoria's Secret. And little does anybody know that the Amish ladies were some of our very best clients.
1: <laughs> yeah. So somewhere else, I read in the the paper um, that we're using to reference here, they talk about how they went into um, into downstairs where uh, one of the families was drying their clothing, and that there was Mickey Mouse underwear for men. So I think it's this idea that because you don't see these sort of private underwear that men and women are choosing to wear that they can they can get a little more creative with that yeah and when they purchase in non-Amish stores non-Amish clothing and Amish people are known as English and so when they purchase in English stores they purchase shoes hats work shirts and as April mentioned underwear yeah ah,
0: very naughty
1: underwear <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I think I think that sexuality in their community is like very much encouraged between the husband and the wife, and then and and this is this is not something that's antithetical to their belief system, but it's actually something that is that is completely in line with their system of beliefs.
1: Yeah, family is incredibly important, so they have a lot of children in the Amish communities, and yeah, I think exactly what you said is true. So coming from this Amish tradition is the fashion designer that we referenced at the beginning, Kate Stoltz. And as you can probably guess, Kate is no longer living the Amish lifestyle, but that was how she was raised and where she came from. So she's actually a, she was the star of the reality show Breaking Amish, which was this American reality TV show on the TLC network that premiered in 2012. And the show was basically following five young Anabaptist adults who moved to New York City. So Anabaptist meaning that none of these young adults had been baptized yet. And so they moved to New York City to really explore life outside of their insular communities. So and the show does make a point of saying it's not entirely the same thing, but the show, um, the idea of the show really falls in line with the Amish practice of Rumspringa, which April's going to tell us a little bit more about.
0: Yeah. So so basically Rumspringa is uh, this very specific period of release that you were um, released from the community to go and experience the world on your own in whatever way that you see fit. and um, Within the Amish community, it happens typically as when you're around the ages of 16, 17, 18, um, you know, as a young, like emerging adult. And the point of Rumspringa is to give you the opportunity to decide for yourself if you want to commit to that Amish faith and do you want to come back um, one of the things that is about Ramshringa is that if you do not commit to come back, you will pretty much for the most part, depending on the community, every, different communities have varying levels of severity about this, but you would be what's called kind of like disfellowshipped or you're like mm-hmm. no longer allowed to have contact with your family or your loved ones. So if you decide not to come back after Ramshringa, that's it.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know that Kate, I've read some interviews with Kate and she says that she does have a good relationship with her family. So I don't think that was necessarily the case with her, but she did leave the community nonetheless. And I think it's really interesting though, that, that her Amish tradition was really kind of encouraged her entree into fashion. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so Kate basically founded her fashion brand in 2015. And according to her website, she moved to New York City after being signed to the major model management company. And she was working as a model at this time. And she was appearing in fashion magazines. She was doing runway shows during fashion week. um, And she was doing all of this that she didn't want to model fashion. She wanted to make the fashion.
1: Right, and so the origins of Kate's interest in fashion traces all the way back to her youth growing up in an Amish community where sewing, as we mentioned, is incredibly integral to a woman's role in that community. And Kate apparently learned how to sew beginning at the age of nine from her older sister, who no doubt learned from her mother. And Kate spent a lot of time making clothes for herself and her siblings.
0: And Kate told In Touch magazine, quote, I think fashion is gradually kind of crept into my life. And she went on to say, I've always been a very creative person. Like, I was very fascinated with sketching and the colors just working. I sewed on my own clothing as a child, starting at nine years old. And I was always very interested in creative things. So so while she was modeling, she was rediscovering basically her passion for clothing and Kate was inspired to pursue it, and she applied to and got into the Fashion Institute of Technology. And while at FIT, Kate has learned the true art of design from couture techniques to pattern making, as well as the in and outs of fashion design and industry.
1: As for how her Amish roots affect her place in the fashion world, Kate said, quote, I'm not concerned about not having the artistic knowledge and the ability to design I think what concerns me more is having people think of my background as a drawback, when in reality I've been living outside of that for a long time now. It's not like I'm necessarily defined by that, my background. I'm very passionate about my work, and I spend a lot of time developing new techniques and perfecting my craft. So I just want that to be the focus.
0: Kate's work is really incredible, and you can find it on katestultz.com. And I especially love the fact that each garment in Kate's collection is made to order in her NYC studio. So it's a combination of both hand and machine sewing techniques, a combination of her Amish roots, as well as modern conveniences. You know, she really values, you know, she says, quote, producing locally, paying fair wages, eliminating garment waste by running small productions. And, you know, this is all, this is something that we always espouse on dress. So, you know, because of her personal desire to minimize her own impact on the earth, Kate is basically, you know, providing quality, sustainable clothing to her clients with the smallest environmental impact possible and really with a focus on quality instead of quantity.
1: In April, I think we can agree, as you said, that is something Dressed can absolutely get behind.
0: And I think that does it for us this week on Dressed. If you have a question that you would like to be answered on one of our weekly Thursday editions of Fashion History
1: Mystery, please write to us at dressed at iheartmedia.com or Cass. Direct message us on our Instagram at dress underscore podcast, where I have to say April and I did our first live chat with you all this weekend, and it was a blast to so look forward to more of those in the future.
0: Yep. And we'll see you next week on our Tuesday episode. Bye. Bye.